0: What's up, guys? This is Danny, and I'm here for another episode of the podcast. So I'm probably going to just jump right into it this week. Um, I don't have a lot to talk about other than my three picks uh, of the week. I will say, you know, it's an interesting time. As we all know, we're all kind of uh, stuck at home, and there's not a ton of big new movies coming out, you know, TV production has been halted. And so, you know, every new thing that comes out does sort of feel like an event in a way that maybe it wouldn't have before. I was just saying uh, to some people the other day that, you know, when The Mandalorian Season 2 comes out uh, later this year, I feel like it's just going to be absolutely huge because, I mean, we haven't had a sort of Star Wars, you know, Marvel level uh pop culture juggernaut in so long now that uh you know that the fact that they had that show sort of in the can feels like uh, a godsend for for us because you know it's just going to bring so much excitement and it is but you know on the reverse of that I think th- uh, an interesting silver lining of these these uh, crazy times is that some smaller things that maybe wouldn't get as much attention are, you know, being looked at a little bit more and being seen by more people. You know, everything from movies like uh, Palm Springs and uh, An American Pickle, and you know, other movies that have come out on stre- on streaming or digital. Um, you know, over the last few months, I guess kind of a cool thing is that some of these indie films are getting a little more attention. Some TV shows are getting a little more attention. Um, and you know, things can really just come out of left field. You know, obviously if you think back to uh, Tiger King from back in uh, March, that that is sort of the epitome of a show that just sort of came out of nowhere. And because people are stuck at home it just became something probably bigger than it ever would have been otherwise. And who knows, maybe that show was such a compelling uh, piece of sort of trash TV that maybe it would have become huge no matter what. But, you know, there's just all kinds of interesting stuff that, that it's kind of catching fire in these uh, stay-at-home uh, times. So... Uh, you know, it's interesting to see what hits and what doesn't. Um, I will say that this past weekend I went to my first ever, uh, my first ever actually drive-in movie. Um, I went down to the, uh, Mission Tiki uh, drive-in theater, uh, in, uh, in the LA, Southern California area. And a few people had recommended that to me, um. You know, I, I've seen that the Beyond Fest group is doing uh, screenings there. Uh, I think those are usually on Thursdays, so they might be a little hard for for some people to get to. And also, the tickets for those events seem to be selling out really, really fast. Um, Beyond Fest, if you don't know, they're kind of a LA-based uh, sci-fi horror uh, festival, film festival that happens every year around this time. So they've been doing some some events at drive-in theaters at the Mission Tiki specifically for the last several weeks. And it seems like people are getting really excited about those. Um, But in any case, I actually just saw uh, The Goonies. So uh, that was kind of a fun movie to do as like my first ever drive-in movie. And it was a fun experience, I think, Uh, you know, having this the sound coming to your car. Like, luckily I have a pretty decent, um, you know, speaker system in my car. And so the sound was really good. Um, you know, the screen wasn't as sharp as I would have liked, but, um, again, you know, the whole experience was fun and just, it was definitely the closest, uh, equivalent thing that I've done to actually going to the movies since March. So, It was a lot of fun it made me feel like I was going out and doing something and sort of having that experience of going to the movies and you know the other thing there is I think a lot of people are talking about when is it safe to go to the movies and um you know as these movies start to open are people going to go and should they go and it is crazy because you know unhinged that new Russell Crowe movie actually came out um, or might be coming out this weekend in theaters. And then you've got new mutants coming out that I know, you know, people are excited about and has been on kind of the back burner forever. And then at some point seeing you're going to have tenant. And, and that I think will be the big one because you know, who everyone wants to see that movie. I, I would kill to see that movie, you know, on a big, proper uh, IMAX screen. But at the same time, I mean, every, everything you read says that really the worst thing you could do right now is to be in any sort of enclosed space uh, with people that are sort of outside of your immediate group or bubble or whatever. Um, and especially in a theater where inevitably people are going to be eating you know, the, you know, people can't even sit in a movie and not look at their cell phone. Do you really trust that all the people in the theater are going to keep their masks on and, and everything? And so it just seems like it's really, unfortunately, you know, not safe yet to go back to theaters. And, you know, in an ideal world, we would have some sort of system, some sort of thing happening right now where, um, you know, businesses like theaters that are so threatened by COVID would actually be getting major, major support from the government. Um, And unfortunately, that's not really happening in in a big way. So the whole situation sucks. Uh, You know, I want theaters to thrive. I want them when this is over to be, you know, healthy and I want to be able to go back to the theater. But It's just a crazy situation right now where, you know, they're trying to open even in unsafe conditions and they're doing stuff to try and lure people back and having cheap tickets and new movies are actually opening. And it's just crazy because it feels like we're all contributing, you know, it's just self-destructive basically. Like if everyone wants theaters to open fully and be back in real business, at all the interested parties, whether it's the theaters, the studios, um, you know, and the fans, we should all, what's in all of our interests is to not go to the theater to help curb the spread of the virus so that soon, sooner rather than later, we can all actually feel safe going to the theaters and get back to some semblance of normalcy. So you know, I think it's just a really tough situation right now. And I get that theaters are sort of in this desperate place. Um, And I don't know that if there's any easy solution for them right now, but at the same time, I think even if you're the biggest movie fan in the world and I certainly am a huge, huge movie fan and in particular, a fan of going to the theater to see movies, I just don't think that's in the cards right now and and should not be in the cards for any of us uh, until things really get substantially, substantially better. So it's it's a crazy situation. And again, I hope that there is an understanding that the situation we're in now won't always be the situation and that right now, you know, a lot of us are going to choose and, and should choose to stay home and watch movies that way. But I also hope that when it truly is safe, that we do support the theaters and we do go back and we do um, still recognize the value of seeing movies in theaters because it would be, I think a big shame if that went away permanently. So we'll see what happens. Again, it's just such a tough situation without any easy answers, but that's just my two cents of, you know, stay away from theaters right now. We'd all love to be in them, but right now we have a pretty good alternative, which is watch movies at home um, and support studios, support movies in that way. And like I said, I mean, it's the best time possible to support indie movies. Um, You know, watch movies like uh, The Assistant, like Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, like The Vast of Night, uh, like The Platform. Uh, I could go on and on, but. There's been so many good indie movies over the last several months um, that, and and there's plenty that I haven't seen yet and still want to. So, you know, use this opportunity of sort of a, a slower trickle of the big blockbuster movies to watch and support indie movies. And uh, you know, I think that's one of the best things that we can all do uh, right now. So that's my, uh, that actually turned into a much longer rant than I anticipated, um, but I will be back in a second with my picks of the week. All right, so, you know, I'm going to start this week. My first pick is going to be, again, a pretty pretty obvious one for this week. You know, I'm I'm guessing a lot of you guys have watched this um, over the last week or so. Uh, And this is a a new TV show, a show that I've been highly anticipating for quite a while now since I first heard about it earlier in the year. Um, And the show is Lovecraft Country, which had its first episode uh, this past Sunday on HBO and HBO Max. Um, And man, this was something I had been looking forward to for a long time now. um, And, and, uh, you know, it it 100% lived up to the hype, I would say. Um, I mean, I think what was cool about this show was that they kept a lot of it very close to the vest. It was very mysterious in terms of what the show would actually be. And I thought that was cool. And it was actually, it actually headed in some directions that I definitely was not anticipating at all. Because, you know, I went into it with very little idea of what to expect, I think you know based on the marketing. What I what I sort of anticipated was really just some kind of take on HP Lovecraft uh, that that sort of examined Lovecraft in the context of you know racism in America, which which is fascinating because as you might know, you know Lovecraft is is one of the most influential horror. And sci-fi writers ever, um, but I think in more recent years, people have sort of really shown a spotlight on the fact that he did have some pretty racist views, um, and and so that has definitely kind of put his work in a little bit of a different light um, as that has become more talked about. And I, I will say, I definitely, uh, you know, I've I've sort of been aware of Lovecraft for a long time. I'd actually never read anything that he actually that he wrote um, until the last, I would say, several years. I think uh, I'm trying to remember exactly when this was. But at one point, there was some major talk about uh, Guillermo del Toro doing a big movie adaptation of uh, In the Mountains of Madness from H.P. Lovecraft. And so that sort of really got me thinking like, okay, I got to read. I've got to actually read some Lovecraft. And I read that book. Um, I guess it's more of a like novella, but I read that. I liked it a lot, and then I, you know, over the last couple of years, I've read, you know, more of his stories and, and things like that. And I got into some of the Cthulhu, uh, you know, stories, and I always thought they were cool, like sort of from afar. And I love that whole like mythology, and I re- had read and seen a lot of things that were influenced by Lovecraft, since there's so much influenced by him, and especially in the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, I feel like just everywhere you see, you know, movies, TV, comic books, video games uh, that have been very highly influenced by Lovecraft. Um, so you, it's unavoidable if you're into pop culture. And I mean, the basic concepts and, and uh, mythos of Lovecraft are so cool. And so, um, you know, they, they capture your imagination so much, I think. You know, basically this idea, you know, I think what's central to Lovecraft is this idea, of this sort of unknowable horror, you know, that that somewhere out there beyond what we can see in our everyday life, there there's lurking in the shadows, you know, these otherworldly creatures and monsters and gods that if you even were to see them, they would be so horrifying that they would drive you insane. And so there's kind of this, uh, you know, there's this thing of like existential horror that comes with Lovecraft. And it it deals as much, not just with there being these monsters, but also with the psychological effects that those monsters, that the existence of those monsters would have, you know, on a person. And a lot of his work deals with madness and with, you know, losing your grip on reality. I think that kind of idea, especially right now in a time when you know, people have these alternate versions of reality and question science and question truth, you know, that kind of idea is especially powerful, um, which is also crazy because, you know, uh, right in a moment when Lovecraft should be just more omnipresent than ever, there's also this sort of uh, darker side to the person, the author, That again, he did have these racist views and um, he published some things that were and said some things that were clearly kind of, uh, you know, racist in nature. And that that does put his work in a little bit of a different light. Um, So with all that being said, I mean, one thing that immediately was clear in watching Lovecraft Country was that uh, this show is dealing with that contradiction head on, which I thought was so cool. I mean, in a weird way, it kind of gave me chills the way that the show came out of the gate dealing with that with that inherent contradiction and you know, having its main character be a black man who was into sci-fi and fantasy, you know, at an, in an era in particular, you know, the show takes place in the 50s when, you know, there was no representation in sort of genre fiction. And even today, it's it's still a big problem that there's not enough minority representation in sci-fi and fantasy. Um, but especially then, not only was there no representation, but something they deal with in the opening of the show is that, you know, the characters reading, reading basically John Carter from Mars, um, and it's sort of pointed out to him by someone else that, you know, the, this hero that you're so into is a con, is you know the whole backstory is he's a Confederate soldier, um, and that wasn't like a knock against the character at the time. That was just part of his character, and it's so fascinating of of how the show talks about that. And I, I forget the exact line, but there was some amazing line about you know where the main character says something about how. We have to kind of reconcile with that in, in the stories that we love, and that no story is is perfect, but it's all about kind of what we take from it and what we, you know, what it what value it adds to our lives. and And there was some really good discussion about that in the pilot. So, yeah, I mean, right out of the gate, the show kind of dealt with these very complicated issues, and I thought a, a very powerful way and i'll just step back for a moment um talk a little bit about the show um again i don't really want to give too much away um, if you haven't seen it but basically so far what we know from the pilot is there's a character uh uh named atticus freeman who's the main character just looking on imdb here to refresh my memory of some of the, the character names but He is a guy who he's going back to his uh, uh, hometown to uh, find out what happened to his dad. His dad has has gone missing, and he ends up kind of on this quest to figure out what happened to his dad. And it sort of leads him to basically, you know, Lovecraft Country, um, which, you know, if you know Lovecraft, a lot of his... uh, stories are set in in massachusetts specifically in a fictional town uh arkham massachusetts the same arkham you that you know that inspired things like uh, arkham asylum and batman and all that kind of stuff um and so basically the character kind of ends up on this road trip through america to find his dad and and see what happened to him and he's joined by uh, his uncle, George, who's played by Courtney B. Vance. The main character, by the way, uh, Atticus, is played by an actor, Jonathan Majors, who's great on the show. And then Courtney B. Vance plays his uncle, who, interestingly, uh, is, is a guy who, the, the character in the show of Uncle George, he um, is is an author of one of these guidebooks that you might have seen in the movie Green Book, for example. Um that was a real thing at the time, which was guidebooks that sort of gave African-Americans insight into if they were ever to travel across the country, like what were places, whether it's hotels or or restaurants, diners, whatever, that were safe for them to go to as African-Americans. And so he's the author of this guidebook. And so that obviously comes in handy on the road trip but it also, again, just adds this other layer to the story of you know, all the dangers that would be inherent to an African-American person during this time. And again, it just so brilliantly plays to this theme of you know, there's the dangers you can see and there's the dangers that you can't see. And there's the way that people are outwardly, there's the way that people are privately. Um, and then you sort of add to that you know, Lovecraftian monsters, and you get just such a perfect mix and perfect storm of of, uh, storytelling. And then kind of, I'll just mention the third main character that we are introduced to in the pilot is a woman named Letty, who is sort of, uh, you know, a friend of of the main character to start. And obviously, you know, there could be some, some romance brewing there um, but she kind of goes along with them on this journey um, for various reasons. Um, and she's just a great character from the start. She's kind of this very uh, vibrant kind of, um, you know, outspoken personality, which, you know, she's in in that time as an African-American woman, she wasn't supposed to be that. Um, but she just sort of doesn't care. And and she's played by uh, an actress, uh, Journey Smollett, Uh, not someone who I was super familiar with, but she's great. I mean, she just has like uh, a real movie star quality to her and, you know, the chemistry with her and the other characters is is fantastic. So, you know, there's kind of this slow building mystery of, of where all this is going. And I think what's crazy about the show is I think from the marketing and also from the way the episode started, I was thinking this was going to be a little bit more of like a serious meditation on race and uh, you know America, with maybe some like Lovecraftian monsters and horror more in the background. Um, clearly, that is not going to be the case. And I, again, I don't want to spoil anything, but the show does. Uh, it's way more sci-fi and horror than I thought it would be. And it's way more just in your face about it, which is awesome. I mean, this show, I mean, this is just a pilot episode we're talking about, but it did not skimp at all on the monsters. It did not skimp at all on, you know, the action. And again, not to spoil anything, but it, uh, it very quickly starts to plant the seeds for, a pretty uh, sprawling mythology that, again, I was not expecting. Like, this is going to some crazy places that almost brought to mind shows like, you know, True Blood or, you know, things like that that are just unabashedly, like, over the top and insane. And that's not what I thought the show would be, but it was kind of a pleasant surprise that You know this is going to have some really serious conversations about about race and social justice and in america but it's also gonna go uh it's just gonna go balls to the wall when it comes to creating this you know sci-fi mythology and you know one thing i should say is that this show is based on a book um so i'm sure people that have read the book are kind of like expecting a lot of this i i was not familiar with the book so I really was not expecting kind of the places this went to. And so I think now I'm just even more excited about the show because I think not only is it gonna be a really poignant social commentary and a really thought-provoking show, it's gonna be just really, really fun and crazy. Um, And so I am now just, extremely excited to see more episodes of the show i mean we'll see i am definitely going to check back in on it on the podcast at some point and kind of talk about it but i am thinking that this this could be kind of just a truly uh noteworthy and 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 special show um and definitely filling a void i mean you know uh this feels like it could be that big event show to sort of complement HBO shows like Game of Thrones or Westworld or, um, you know, some others that we've seen in the past. This feels like maybe that next big must watch week to week show in that vein. So, you know, maybe some of you guys missed it. Maybe some of you guys uh, weren't sure if this was for you. I would say you've got to see the show. If you at all love, like, just sci-fi horror um then definitely watch it if you if you don't like those things i would say still watch it because it's got some of the most interesting social commentary that i've seen and and so relevant to a time where i think we're grappling with kind of a you know we want to hold our favorite artists accountable for their their problematic views but we also can't just discount some of the important work that they've done and influential work they've done. And this feels like one of the first pieces of art to like really grapple with that in a way that feels so relevant and so timely and so important. So again, um, I'm totally nerding out for this show. Highly recommend you watch it. It's on Sunday nights. Um, And man, I can't wait to keep talking about, About this one so that is Lovecraft Country and uh, since I talked about that for a while I'll take a quick pause and then be back with my second uh, pick of the week okay so for my second pick this week I just want to mention um, a show that uh, I've been I've been binge watching kind of very slowly but surely through uh, the quarantine period, uh, and that show is Schitt's Creek, which I know a lot of you guys are big fans of. I was definitely uh, late to the party on this one, um, but I had been I actually it's funny I had actually started it before uh, the quarantine started, um, and I had been trying to kind of rush through it. Because I actually had tickets to see a PaleyFest uh, event with the cast that, of course, ended up being canceled because of the pandemic. Um, and so when that happened, I kind of, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have made it all the way through in time for the event, anyways. But um, I decided more to kind of savor it, and I've been watching, you know, maybe just a couple episodes per week. Uh, taking breaks occasionally, but it's been just kind of a go-to comfort food show for me during the uh, the pandemic. Um, I will say, I watched a, wa- a long time ago. I watched the first episode, and I was curious about the show. I love uh, Eugene Levy. I talked about this a bit in the um, Emmy the Emmy episode a few episodes back, but. You know, I'm such a fan of Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara from their work in the Christopher Guest movies that I was definitely intrigued by the show. Um, and so I, I tried watching it, and I just didn't really get into it in those first few episodes, to be honest. And you know, I I I, uh, I think I'm very aware that with comedies, oftentimes they don't hit their groove until, you know, sometimes not even until the second season. Um, and i think with schitt's creek it actually happens a lot sooner than that i think about midway through season one it starts to get really funny and just really good um so if you've had the issue uh you know with the show of maybe trying it and not fully getting into it i would urge you to stick with it for a little bit it's definitely worth the payoff it's, it's um, you know a really funny show with just great characters. Um, the premise, if you don't know, it's basically about this family, a little bit like Arrested Development, I guess, but kind of this, this very wealthy um, family that uh, has this huge setback, their business sort of crashes, and they lose all their money. And so all of a sudden they're forced out of their mansion uh, they have to sell all their possessions or get rid of all their possessions. Um, and the one thing that they have is sort of uh, a stake in this small town called Sixth Creek that really is kind of this, this crappy uh, small town, but they end up moving there and living in like this crappy motel in the town. Um, they're all bunched together in, in like these adjoining rooms and you know it's basically eugene levy and Catherine o'hara are the two uh are like the patriarch and matriarch of the family and then they've got two sort of adult kids um you know the son is the son is played by daniel levy who's eugene levy's real life son which is really fun um and then they have a daughter as well and i keep forgetting the name of this actress um she's super funny i'm just looking it up now so i make sure i say it correctly uh annie murphy plays alexis uh on the show who's the daughter she's you know and that's a character who at first maybe i i wasn't as big on but just becomes funnier and funnier and you know similar to other kind of great comedy characters i feel like dan levy and annie murphy both just keep kind of growing into these characters they play where you know, by the time you get to like season two, they're just so spot on and so well-defined that it's really just fun to watch these characters and it's no shock of how they become like these huge fan favorites um, because they're both just so good and so kind of all in in those roles. Um, And then Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara are just brilliant as always um eugene levy is sort of doing he's a little bit more of the straight man in the show than maybe sometimes we've seen him be um but he does have the cassette he has one of the funniest faces of anyone and, and i don't mean that in like a derogatory way i mean that in like the facial expressions that eugene levy can do he can make me just crack up with like raising his eyebrow he's so good on the show and then Catherine o'hara is playing more spe- like a more specific character in Moira. Um, she's just is this really over the top um, kind of former like washed up actress, and she talks in this very you know grandiose way. And she has a thing where she constantly mispronounces words uh, <laughs> that never gets old, and she, I mean she's just genius on the show. Um, so it's funny that only now is the show kind of getting the Emmy attention, but you know it, it just ended after six seasons, and you know by the time you like I'm now I just finished season three, and we're now in the territory of it being just a legitimately great comedy. By the time you get to the end of season three, and I would say even as early as like first half of season one, and then certainly into season two, it's just firing on all cylinders. You know, it has a combination of really sharp joke writing and some some great uh, cold opens that are just dropped at hilarious. And then it, you know, as the show goes, it starts to get more and more heart, and it starts to, um, you know, even the more over the top characters like Annie Murphy's Alexis start to have these relationships that really you know, do have a lot of heart to them. And and there is, like, an unexpected, uh, you know, the show does have some really good moments of, like, family coming together and um, just moments that are actually pretty heartwarming despite how ridiculous most of these characters are. So it's really a a pretty amazing feat that it accomplishes that. Uh, The one other thing I'll say just for my fellow uh, comedy nerds out there is that you know, Chris Elliott is a sporting character on the show. You know, I've always loved Chris Elliott. And he is in, you know, in top form on this show, playing the, the mayor of shitts Creek named Roland, uh, Roland uh And man, is he good. And he has just moments that make me laugh so hard on the show. Um, so again, I'm probably preaching to the choir when I say this um, for a lot of you guys. But um, if you've not gotten into Schitt's Creek yet, the first five seasons are on Netflix. It's just one of those perfect, like, you know, 22 minute comedies to watch while you're eating lunch or, or whatever it may be, or if you just need a break at some point. Um, highly recommend it. And it's definitely for me been kind of, again, like a total comfort food show um, during, during this period. And I just started season four, so I still have uh, three, basically three more seasons to go, and uh, I'm really enjoying it. So if you've not yet gotten on the Shit's Creek train, if you just thought the name was cheesy and you didn't, you know, you didn't think it was up your alley, definitely check it out. Um, if nothing else, to see Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara in absolute uh, top form. So that is my second. Day. and I'll be back in a second with my third and final pick of the week. All right, so for my third and final pick of uh, this week, I'm going to go into some kind of deep nerd territory here. So I apologize to anyone who is listening who uh, just – wants to just shut it off right now because I'm gonna get into some real nerdy stuff right now. Um, well, we'll see it. maybe not that nerdy, but um, I so one of my favorite movies ever since I was you know like a, in like middle school or so has been Blade Runner. Um, and I know you know that's just a huge movie for so many people. Um, just one of the most groundbreaking, influential movies ever maybe, you know, arguably the greatest sci-fi movie ever. Certainly for me, it, it might be my favorite. Um, and it's just one of those movies that has always uh, sparked my imagination and, and, and not just the story, but the world of the movie, I think is what's so cool about that movie. Um, you know, the look of it, the feel of it, the vibe of that sort of neo-noir, sci-fi, cyberpunk, uh, universe that Ridley Scott and and the rest of the the team behind the movie created, has always just stuck with me. It's it's the kind of world that I like to revisit whenever I can. Um, but one thing about Blade Runner is, you know, until recently, it's never really been like a franchise in any way. It's one of it's one of the probably the biggest, most you know the 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 properties out there that had the most fans especially over the years, you think about all the fans that it accumulated um, with different re-releases and all the airings on TV. I know, I think I first saw it, you know, on some late night showing on TNT back in the day, which by the way, is how I discovered a lot of my favorite movies as a, you know, 12, 13 year old. Um, But, you know, Blade Runner, until recently, it didn't have a sequel. It didn't really have any spin-offs um there was a, a pc game uh that came out in the 90s that actually again sorry this is a tangent but it the pc game recently was like restored and re-released you can you can download that and apparently they're also doing a remake like a full remake of that game uh, with updated graphics and everything that's coming out at some point next year so keep an eye out for that um but in any case what I'm here to talk about is the Blade Runner comic book that has recently come out. Um, So, so again, you know, we got a few years ago, the Blade Runner 2046 sequel, you know, had mixed feelings about that movie. I guess I would say there was a lot I really liked about it. That really stuck with me. There were some things I didn't like as much, but You know, it did seem to open the door a bit for kind of more Blade Runner stuff to be made. And, you know, I'm always skeptical of like a licensed comic book. I feel like a lot of them aren't always great. But I took a chance on the Blade Runner uh, comic. It, It started last year. And I took a chance on it mainly because, again, there's really not been that much Blade Runner material out there and it's one of those worlds that's so fascinating you know i was curious how they were gonna expand on it and what new sort of uh things they would add to that world and i was extra curious when i saw that michael green was was actually the co-writer of the comic and michael green um you know is a really good writer of movies and he's done some other comics before And he actually wrote the the recent blade runner 2046 movie so you know, he certainly is like an authority on this world and a big name to get to write the comic. So, you know, this seems like it was going to be very, like, kind of canonical and very respectful of what's come before. So, yeah, I gave the comic a chance, and I was immediately really impressed by it. Um, Basically, the comic series, it takes place in 2019. So around the same time as the first uh, Blade Runner movie. And it introduces a brand new character. So it's not about Harrison Ford's uh, character of Deckard from Mm. the original movie. Um, It's about this brand new character um, named Ash, who is also a Blade Runner. And she's cut a little bit from the same cloth as as Deckard. She's sort of this hard-boiled, you know, noir, kind of classic noir type of character, but certainly there's a lot of new wrinkles to this character, you know, first and foremost being that she's a woman. Um, So that's a a really interesting kind of new perspective for this world. Um, She also is kind of an interesting character in that she's a human character who has had, uh, you know, had had a paralysis growing up, and thanks to sort of uh, cyber cybernetic implants that those enable her to walk and and not have that disability and so again in this world of kind of um you know where there's all this hostility towards towards robots um you know this sort of this human character who has this kind of robotic element and, and these enhancements to her is sort of this weird uh, you know, in this weird middle ground where she gets a lot of derision and, and suspicion from her fellow, you know, police and, and everything like that. And of course, she's hunting down robots, being a Blade Runner. And it's this really interesting mystery um, to start. Again, I don't want to spoil it, but it kind of deals with a missing child that this woman has been hired to, or specifically um singled out to to find and in the quest to find this missing child she unravels this whole sort of mystery and kind of conspiracy that ties back to the original Blade Runner it involves you know the Tyrell Corporation and other elements of the original movie um and really fascinating look at the Blade Runner world and and it really does add some interesting new Uh, angles to this world and the one thing i'll say is that so basically they did like a first volume of the comic that pretty much plays in the world established by the first movie again adds some new wrinkles but it's sort of in that 2019 los angeles setting Um, then the second volume that has just recently started it actually jumps forward in time and it's about a kind of slightly older version of Ash. And this version, they now sort of take it to a brand new place where they explore like the off world colonies that are talked about in the first movie. Um, It shows you a little bit of that, of of the years after the original movie. Once, um, you know, the, the, the androids have been outlawed um, and kind of the ramifications of everything that happens in the first movie, you get to see it play out a bit. And so, you know, the, the 2046 movie jumps ahead so much in time that you don't really get to see that immediate fallout. Um, but this comic really does give you that in a pretty satisfying way. So again, it's, it's co-written by Michael Green. There's another co-writer, Mike Johnson, and there's some really good art as well by a guy named Andre, uh, Guinaldo, and yeah i would highly recommend it um if you're at all a fan of blade runner again i know sometimes these licensed uh, comics and stuff can be a little suspect but this is one of those gems that is really kind of you know i would call it a must read if you're a fan of the franchise um you know you can get all the issues through uh digital services like comicology you can get them at your uh comic shop or order the the collected editions through amazon or barnes noble or wherever else so definitely check it out um, you know it's always fun when there's a cool franchise like this that in kind of a respectful and and uh you know additive way gets gets some sort of cool spin-off or additional you know stories that, that help build up the universe so highly recommend the comic and, uh, hope you'll check it out. So, so that's it for this week. Um, I'll be back next week and thank you guys again for listening.